Hello, welcome back to Solomon's Temple. This episode is going to cover the concept of freedom. I took from one of Maurice Merleau-Ponty's essays, Freedom. I'll try to describe and explain some of the passages that he's written. However, rather piecemeal, it's a very heavy existential take on freedom. Sometimes almost incomprehensible and I'm sitting there scratching my head wondering, is this even real? Is this happening right now? Sometimes I just don't know what some of these uh, greater minds are thinking, but I'm going to read off some of the more important items I have seen in this essay and give a little bit of a distilled take on that and try to give a, a takeaway on it. First of all, he mentions that we see ourselves in flux, that there is a flux, a flux consciousness. So the way in which we are aware of ourselves or aware of other selves or reality in general, particularly and in general, changes. It differs from one view to the next. So from one instance, one thing looks one way, perceptually, and then in another instance, the same thing looks different. So it's in flux. The perception of the perception of the perception fluctuates. He goes on to say, Consciousness can never objectify itself into invalid or cripple consciousness. And even if the old man or the deformed complain of their deformity, they can do so by only comparing themselves with others or seeing themselves through the eyes of others, that is, by taking an objective statistical view of themselves. And so we create the phenomenon of ourselves by others or ourselves looking at ourselves. It's identity and consciousness and awareness and intelligence looking back at itself, thinking it is separate from itself so that when we are comparing, we have a certain amount of insecurity and that we take it as objective as like this statistical counting of oneself will really count out who you really know to be or how you really view yourself or that another will or another view might override you would be fallacious. And that's what I think he is saying. He says such complaints cannot be genuine. When he is back in the heart of his own consciousness, each one of us feels beyond limitations and thereupon resigns to them. Now whether or not these are made manifest or whether or not they're possible, I guess is up to the present you moving forward toward a future self or regressing back or being incapacitated to some extent or losing track of something in the shuffle or whatever the possibility may be. The phenomena isn't exactly clear, but in essence, if I am free, then I cannot be counted among determinable things. So to be put in a paper cage, so to speak, by something else, that we are forced into a mold, but you do not have to go willingly. It is almost as if, as if forces will choose for you unless you choose yourself, or that there is a whole manifold field of determination existing within you and without you. And we'll go over that more as the uh, podcast progresses. He goes on to say that when we make deliberate choices to be unapproving or sadistic, or seeing something ugly and thinking of it as a verse, or that there is certain instances where you make a judgment upon something, maybe at an instance, maybe even without thinking, but you are given an option to do so whenever you have a deliberate behavior, a deliberate thought or feeling or anything, that with this behavior is a certain will to be of a certain view. That when we contain these wills, it wishes to have itself permeate and influence decisions. He says there is free choice only if freedom comes into play when choosing is possible. 
So if I were to select a friend, if I were to choose to go talk to somebody in particular, if I were to go choose to, let's just say, pull over and help that person on the side of the road, it is only free when choosing to do so is possible that I would have done it if I could have. Having a will to do something is a matter of can you, and how can you do it? Having an intention is a will, but it is not enough to make manifest your actions, and that having some sort of power over your will to act grants you some sort of freedom. He says autonomy in being able to choose to do something which depends on having the ability to intend, on actually doing it, and without ability can render the freedom to do it a matter of will. Being willing but not able to do something makes you less free, although you are freely willing, although you do not have freedom per se. Actions are free when they are able to be done, but if succeeded by an interruption of some sort, in an instance that to act otherwise would have been rendered a closed world previously, that the thing that you would have done is rendered closed now because there is some sort of instance that interrupts the process of acting. He describes this as a sort of atomized world where instances are regarded versus a general action and freedom in all acts in particular, which never are done unless there is a closed and unfree determination among them. Now, if one was drowning in a dangerous river or a lake or anywhere in particular, that you would feel like you always have the freedom to go save that person. And if you do not have the freedom to save that person, it would mean that you are holding back the will and your own capacity to do so, willingly, that you have the freedom to not do it. But you will always have the freedom to do it and you are expected by duty to do that. And in some way, there is a determination morally or maybe even extra physically, that we are supposed to be doing this for each other. That in essence, quote, we have no choice. Some things, you don't have a choice, you need to do this, although you do, but that's the attitude we have. That seems to be the determination of will in reality, but not exactly among instances. Some people let people die, I suppose, for whatever reason. And that's an option too. There's always an option, I guess. But if I was not a good swimmer, or if I was too afraid to go save somebody, I was too afraid of the water and afraid of the action, I would always be free to do something, but in my mind, I have the option not to do it. Or I would intend to do it, that I would decide to do it only if I could swim. I would do it if I actually cared about human life, which of course for me, in the field of being, is not an option. We always have the option to be and not to be in the power to do something. Maybe if we were creatures that didn't know how to swim at all and we avoided water at all costs, that freedom would be different. The, the intention to save wouldn't be an option. It would just be a fatal consequence sort of thing. But we have different consequences when we contain different power. Our intentions will all align that if you cannot swim, you surely would have the will to do so and the intention but not the power to be able to do it. Or maybe your power is in question and you questioned yourself rather than the reality that the external forces had some sort of power over you, but really it was your own power that determined whether or not you would save them in some way. Some people would assess the situation differently based on their own power. Jean-Paul Sartre once said, imagination has no obstacle and has nothing to do. So that within the realm of imagination, he thought that there was no real act of freedom. 
that in some instance there is a force of determination present that is necessary in order to introduce freedom but is in itself a deterministic framework rather than imagination being purely free in mind but there is nothing to make it deliberate therefore it, it is pure nothingness it is not freedom at all must have something to do or there must be some force around that allows for deliberation to take place. Ponty goes on and says we extend our will into the possibility of freedom in reality but fail to center on the possibility of reality and not our central will and intention with reality almost as if the freedom of the will derived mostly from within rather than knowing from within what the exterior possibilities are or that we derive freedom from within inside outside relationship with freedom he talks about class consciousness briefly that we could label objective characteristics among the classes of citizenry that in one way they get paid x amount they labor x amount they do these functions they perform these duties this is how they perform them this is what they get in in light of it this is how many there are this is what they produce this is what it's divided into blah 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 you could break down the structure maybe certain classes of citizen citizenry don't even think about the structure they don't even think about what the structure is doing in essence there are certain sets of people who do not become conscious of themselves Having conscious, consciousness of these objective characteristics and these objective states of being, reflecting on them and analyzing them brings to consciousness these things and what it is to be among them. Being them and thinking about what it is to be what you are will change your view on what you are. That you need to call yourself into being and become aware of what it is you are through a greater framework because you are defined by the outwardness in reality. Ways of being in the world will change how you see the world and how you see ourselves within it. Being in itself and being for itself is distinct. Relationships on how you see yourself in it and how you see it without it will give clue to how consciousness happens while it is in itself. And then you determine going forward what it is you think of yourself and what it is in itself and whether you are for it or not or to what extent. And that we wind up in these sort of states by becoming aware of one another, whether you're a worker or a bourgeois, and patterning into the world and coexisting with other people will give you that relationship and you will determine what kind of placement you want that there are roles to be had, there are situations that develop, you are situated in the world, there are situations at hand that create roles, and there is a determined situational system, and by that there is freedom in it. But how much freedom in it depends on how well aware you are of the roles and the situations therein, and how they are supposed to relate to each other, and how you are supposed to relate to it in itself and whether you will choose to be for itself. A sort of reconciliation of how to deal with your place in the world or how you see yourself. He says, quote, What withstands pain is not, in short, a bare consciousness, but the prisoner with his comrades or with those he loves and under whose gaze he lives or else the awareness of his proudly willed solitude. We choose our world and the world chooses us. Freedom is always a meeting of the inner and the outer. 
I think that sounds rather self-explanatory. I don't know what you think about that. But in essence, there's no freedom without power. The idea of situation rules out absolute freedom, or that freedom waxes and wanes based on your role and whether you are for it. We are tangled into situations and relating within them and without them and being always particular and general. There is, in essence, an undertaking of chance, taking on what I currently am psychologically and as a natural result of fortuitousness and determination, causal contributions. All these things will make my communication with everything else in life possible to myself. I will wrap this whole thing up with really comprehensible quotes. Nothing determines me from outside, not because nothing acts upon me, but, on the contrary, because I am from the start outside myself and open to the world. Man is but a network of relationships, and these alone matter to him. Thank you for joining me on this one. This was a lot of fun. Merlo Ponte's my hero. Alright, I'll see you next time.